right, welcome in to the 411 on Wrestling Podcast. I'm your host, Blake Bubble, and uh, back here for another exciting edition of the podcast and another exciting edition uh, of thoughts on uh, New Japan Pro Wrestling. As uh, last week, uh, we talked with Ian Hamilton about uh, what we could see at Wrestle Kingdom 15, and uh, Ian back on here with us uh, to discuss everything that happened and uh, the fallout that took place uh, at New Year's Dash uh, on uh, Wednesday. So uh, we'll talk a bit about it. Ian, uh, hope you've gotten a chance to get some sleep because uh, lots lots of wrestling in New Japan uh, the past several days. Luckily, the time zones are very kind in the UK. Um, <laughs> a lot of folks in America were getting the same kind of treatment we got. You know, we get tend to get forward with three pay-per-views. We'll stay in for three hours in the morning. Generally, the New Japan shows, I think the night one was like a 7 a.m. start. Uh, night two was an 8 a.m., so not too bad. And no other no Japanese promotions do start a lot early, but yeah, New Japan are a lot more friendly for us Europeans. Yes, for sure. Uh, I know for me, uh, you know, the two Eastern, one Eastern uh, starts in the AMs. Uh, those can be challenging, uh, but uh, we make it work because uh, it is a very exciting uh, time for New Japan. But uh, as we'll talk about a little bit later, also some uncertainties surrounding uh, where things go from here. But let's start. Uh, we'll run through just, uh, you know, the bulk of, of the cards, both on night one, night two. And uh, obviously we'll spend more time on the matches that uh, had a little bit more significance. Uh, all the way back to night one, uh, it started with the uh, New Japan Rambo. And uh, we talked about it all, not knowing the participants. Uh, it turns out that, uh, you know, Ishii and Suzuki, they were in there, but uh, didn't exactly uh, spend a lot of time in there. Uh, came down to the final four, which was uh, Chase Owens, Bad Luck Fale, Bushi, and Toriano, who uh, wound up uh, never getting into the ring, actually. Uh, I think for most people, Ian, this was probably the most forgettable thing, uh, aside from maybe the four-way that we'll talk about on night two, but uh, not a whole lot here probably to take away from it, except for maybe Tohonari had uh, some, some nice little moments there, uh, eliminating Suzuki uh, and Agat, so. Yeah, I think we went, uh, I think I timed it 34 minutes, 32 seconds. It was long. I mean, yeah. you know, <laughs> Had these rambles before, you know, you know, in years past they've had, you know, big names come back, you know, outsiders win, what have you. No outsiders at all this time. I believe, I think last week we said it was 21-man uh, rambles. We didn't know anything which wasn't already out there. Apparently this was meant to be 22 entrants. Um, we, I think, surmised Carl Fredericks was going to be in this. He, of course, wasn't. Um, apparently the injury that kept him out of the Super J Cup kept him out of base. Um, yeah, I mean, it was what it was. And he, it, I think in the report I wrote, it was very front-loaded. You know, Chase Owens, number one, well, yeah. But you know, Tomohiro Ishii, Minoru Suzuki, Yuji Nagata, you know, two, three, and four. And then after that, it just kind of petered out. And I mean, yeah, it, it went to the finish. You know, three, I think three of the last four were Young Lions, Gabe Kidd, uh, Yomura, and Suji were three of the last four, of course, Yano, last one out, but didn't actually hit the ring. Um, I don't know what to say. I gave it two stars. I think some people think that's maybe a bit generous. You know, for a half hour match, which I'll be honest, if I wasn't reviewing this, I would not have gotten up early for the Rambo. You know, for all respect, just for, for, the names were in there. You know, again, we didn't know who was out, so you know, it wasn't a case of, get up early and you'll see, I don't know, X in there. The fact was just, you know, 21 names. It was basically guys who weren't getting on the show. I, I think that this was, and I don't know if it's a big surprise, but I think this was obviously the most forgettable uh, thing on, on either show, whether it's just from this, like you said, I mean, this thing went a while, uh, and the fact that the follow-up wasn't exactly anything special uh, on night two. So uh, maybe not a huge surprise, and uh, I'm with you on that. If probably didn't have to watch the whole thing. I think a lot of people could have skipped this, uh, and really there's not much to go back and watch from that. Uh, Hiromo Takahashi uh, versus El Fantasmo, of course, uh, I thought this was, uh, you know, a match we, we talked about going in. Uh, wasn't exactly sure what the expectations were just because it did feel predictable in the fact of Hiromu winning. And, of course, he did uh, win this match. Uh, you had Fantasmo. I think he came out after and said that uh, he had his, uh, you know, paying homage to uh, Edge with his gear and all this other stuff. But uh, I didn't think this was a bad match at all. I thought it was certainly uh, – we, we know what the focus is, and we'll talk a little bit more about it later with Hiromu now. I mean, they we know they love Hiromu. We know he's getting these spots. Uh, but uh, I actually thought this was a, a nice little match here uh, from these two with uh, Hiromu getting the counter for the win and really playing up uh, – his hand injury as he headed into night two. Yeah, I mean, I think one of the big things that came through this, I mean, 
El Fantasma, I think he's only had four or five matches since the shutdown. No, he's, he had one match in Canada, which no, is apart from New Japan Canada, so they don't count that. But he's had one match in Calgary, I believe, and obviously the Super Jacob stuff. So I'm not saying it's ringless, but you know, anyone who's you know, really going to town or no, Fantasma's lost it. You know, he didn't, he shouldn't have been in this match. No, there's a guy who's had four matches in a year, and let's be honest, you know, you're probably looking at total 30, 40 minutes of in ring. Right. Whereas for all that he's been. Well, pretty much every single show, apart from the, uh, no, well, he was in the Tag League World uh, Super Junior Tournament, but he's been on pretty much every show since the comeback. So you've got a guy who's been working regularly and a guy who hasn't. Um, I mean, I thought Phantasma looked, you know, pretty solid in this, you know, staying with the, you know, the heel couch, you know, doing all the, you know, the gas pedal, the dick punches, what have you. Uh, that back sent on as who was on the top rope. I think I've seen that before somewhere, but I absolutely could not tell you. I mean, Half of they bust that out in the Tokyo Dome is you know, tells you, you know, they, they think it's something pretty special, and it was. Um, the other one thing which you know, is seemingly playing into a longer storyline with uh, Phantasmal, the loaded boot. And I tweeted this during uh, Dash today. It is a corny as hell gimmick. It's out of you know, Iron Sheik in the 80s, but my God, I love it. You know, it fits <laughs> the character. You know. I mean, okay, this in all, you know, it's, it, he's tapping his heel to the super kick, which you know, everyone does. The fact that someone's actually playing up that, I mean, what next? A loaded five for the five slapping? Right. <laughs> no, I'm with you on that. Uh, I did. I, I thought this was, you know, just just watching it. Um, we talked about it. I wasn't sure exactly if the whole predictability factor would, you know, maybe hurt the overall match, but I don't think it did. I, th- I think it was one, even knowing that Hiromu was going to win, um, it still made for a good bout, and, and we know what we're getting with Hiromu now. Anytime he's in the ring, we know we're probably going to get something pretty good. So, uh, yeah, nice nice match there, and that led us into the uh, the match for the IWGP uh, Tag Team titles with the Gorillas of Destiny. Now, these seven-time champs uh, getting the win over Dangerous Techers, uh, Taichi and Zack Sabre Jr. Um, I, I thought this match was better than I expected. I will say that. I mean, I, I can't say this was a classic by any means, but going in, I, we talked about sort of the heel versus heel dynamic and didn't really know how this would play off, but um, you could see, I mean, like it was pretty much Taichi and, and Zack playing up the the face role here, and um, I, I just, I've liked the way they've worked together as a team. I thought this was a pretty good back-and-forth match. Um, you know, you had sort of the callback to the finish of the World Tag league with the glove playing into to things um this was better than i expected again i'm not saying this was a classic but i will say that this one sort of surprised me a bit and that i thought it was pretty good yeah i mean i think last week i completely screwed up the match i was thinking of uh, i was thinking of the lij evil scenario against killer elite squad match when i was comparing this one last week i was expecting something more akin to that match like i say i don't think this was a horrible one it wasn't what i was going and expecting um Again, when you think, you know, the tag titles are pretty much guaranteed to change hands for Tokyo Dome. So, you know, Gorilla's Destiny, they win for record seven times, what, 19 minutes, 18 seconds to win. Um, you know, it was no, it was fine. I went three and a half stars. You know, again, you know, we have, what, 12, 18 matches in three days. A lot of it will, some of it will wash over, unfortunately, misstate. Um, in fact, they seem to be going back to a rematch for this, kind of underlines... One of the things we called up before, that the, the depth in New Japan in general, but the tag team division just simply ain't there. I mean, yeah. I was expecting maybe, you know, Juice and Dave Finley, you know, for rematch, you know, since that was the rematch for World Tag League Finals. Finley's apparently back in America since he wasn't in Rambo. Uh, Juice, we have no idea what's going on with his eye injury. So, yeah, it looks like for the time being, it's still going to be Bullet Club Suzuki gone for this and as a touch on later, the junior tag titles. But, I mean, it was perfectly fine. Um, I don't know what much more to say, but to be honest. Yeah, I'm with you. It was, again, not not one of those matches that you're always just going to go back and, and say, I have to see it. But uh, I also think it's one that, that was not, again, probably, I think exceeded my personal expectations just based on uh, what I thought going into it. But uh, Kenta uh, defended the uh, IWGP US uh, title contract against uh, Satoshi Kojima. Of course, uh, the big talk for this one 
Ian was before the match where you had uh, John Moxley appear for the first time in a long while and uh, basically cut a promo saying that uh, he was ready uh, for whoever's next. And of course, that's going to be Kenta. And you had Moxley in the uh, New Japan uh, you know, USA ring. So uh, that led to a lot of speculation about, you know, have they already done this? Have they already recorded this? What are some of the things maybe that, that have gone into this? <laughs> Do we already have a new a champion and we just don't know it yet? Um, as for this particular match, I thought it was one, again, uh, sort of the same thing we talked about with Romo. We knew that, that Kenta was going to win this match. Uh, but, you know, having someone like Kojima who has proven that he can still, you know, work at a pretty solid level, knowing going in that this was going to kind of want to be the, one of those, um, you know, last throw type things where this is his, maybe his bat, last big moment uh, in the Tokyo Dome and getting this shot. Uh, I thought this was fine. Again, nothing overly special, I didn't think. But uh, still, uh, I thought it was pretty good. Yeah, I mean, I think it depends what, again, matches in general, if you have any kind of engagement with performers, you, know, you get a lot more out of it. I'm a pretty big fan of, of Kenta, big fan of Kojima. So again, with this, I was probably a bit more invested in this, but yeah, this to me was Kojima's last hurrah. I mean, you know, he, last we, as far as we know, he's never going to get that final G1 run. Was a few years back, he gave away a spot to Tenzan, and he never got, never got to have his farewell in the G1 Climax. Um, I honestly don't expect Kojima to be in a singles match for Tokyo Dome again. I think this, you know, if Juice hadn't been injured, he would have been in a dead search for Rambo. Um, I'll be honest, I think going forward, it'll be either Rambo's or you know, never six-man gauntlets going forward for Kojima. This was perfectly fine. I mean, you know, as much as I knew Kent was probably going to win, I mean, you know, we'll, we'll touch on this later, but it, like, as far as uh, Kent and Kojima, we knew it was only one result. It was Kent, it was like Jimmy rolling back the clock one more time. I mean, we've seen all of World Tag League, he was racking up win after win after win. No, he still got it for whatever reason. New Japan don't want to let him, you know, cut loose for one better word. But yeah, that was a really good mid card match. And, you know, this is uh, Kojima's final match in the Tokyo Dome, at least of any kind of profile. You no, know, he gave his best shot. And going to the uh, Moxley thing. So, I can't believe it did this last night, but I had a look at the timelines of when they could have done this because I think they said in June they taped a buttload of stuff for New Japan Strong. Matt's finished up. There's a new series of Strong starting this weekend, which would expect that stuff's uh, going to be part of. Um, so I'm fully expecting that match you know, has already taken place. Um, that new series, I say, starts on Friday night. I think it's 9 or 10 p.m. Eastern. I watch it on demand, so. That's why I don't know the start time. Uh, but was that spell between the end of the G1? Sorry, so Kent has been in Japan since the G1, so he'd have been in since late August, early September, we'd say, with the um, quarantine time. After Power Struggle in November, he was off the World Tag League card and came back for the Road to Tokyo Dome stuff in December. So you're looking at that period between November and December where something could have been taped with this along with Strong. I'll be honest, given results would happen later on, I fully expect this title to have been won by Kenta, maybe coming back to Japan you know, to be a secondary title or you know, a lot higher than it was, or maybe just staying on strong. But you know, I guess we will see when you know, New Japan Strong comes back this weekend. But um, yeah, like I say, it's one of those things they really have not, they've had, they've kind of been snake bit this title. You know, they had. Uh, one of the two, one of the two was year before last. Um, Moxley had to vacate the belt because of uh, the typhoon. I seem to recall they just couldn't get in the country, so they stripped the title and obviously put it back on him. Uh, but yeah, it'll be good. You know, even with it is empty, it'll be nice to see you know that briefcase finally cashed in for something, and they'll finally see what they you know, want to do with that title, whether it's on the pre-taped strong or whatever comes back into Japan for what shows they can run. Yeah, you said it. I think that the title is going to be interesting because uh, we will talk about it when we talk about the uh, the top two uh, main titles and uh, our new double champion. But uh, it's going to be I'm very curious to see kind of where they go w- with that title. And uh, but I agree with you. I think it's something that's probably already happened. Um, you know, Kenta that they probably already taped a match at some point and uh, have a feeling that uh, he will probably be uh, the, your champion uh, sooner rather than later, depending on as we as we'll talk about in a bit as well. Um, not knowing exactly what uh, things could look like. 
contract for New Japan over the next month or so. But um, that led us to uh, Great Okan versus Hiroshi Tanahashi. We talked about this needing to be uh, a big match for Great Okan uh, because it was certainly for him to be on this, this spotlight, and, and they talked about it on commentary during the match, I mean, you you know you're kind of in a spot where you're in a prove-yourself spot when you're having, you know, high-profile uh, singles matches against Okada and Tanahashi, and, and now this led, you know, Great Okan to having this one here at the Tokyo Dome. Um, this was one that, that I thought was, again, and it seems like we've said this as the same, same theme really for the start of this show in particular, but... I thought this match was fine. Um, I can't say there was a ton that really stood out to me about it, other than it really played up that that story that we mentioned going in about you know Tanahashi kind of on his last run maybe and, and needing to sort of overcome the odds here to to not lose to you know to the younger rising star and that's what happened with with Tanahashi getting the win. But uh, another fine solid match, and I think that's probably the most I could probably say about it. Yeah, I mean, I think if people expect you know, Khan to you know, knock it out of the park on his first you know, Tokyo Dome match, I don't know what you're expecting. I mean, to me, the, the gimmick is very limiting. I mean, this is from someone who's seen the, the character from pretty much day one. I was in uh, Milton Keynes when he debuted in England with the Great Khan uh, character. He's tweaked a little bit, but I think there are elements to what they have now, which you, know, you come back in two, three, five years' time, will be there. A lot of stuff won't. Um, I think Volkan, he's still finding his feet. You know, he more than held his own against Tanahashi here, but like I say I think the big takeaway people had coming out of this was you know, two big losses for Okan against Okada and Tanahashi, but you know, people a bit further than that, you know. You don't have young lions coming back and their first two singles matches against the top two stars in the company, you know. Master Watto didn't have that, you no know? show hasn't had that. No, to have a guy go away in excursion, come back and face the ace and the, no, the longest reigning champion you've had. To me, that's that's the real story. I mean, yeah, there's a lot of fine tuning to be done to you Okana's know, no, in terms of character, in terms of where he is as part of the empire. Where obviously where he is now is is still work in progress. Isn't a finished product, but no, it's a big um, show of belief from New Japan in him. And the fact that you know he didn't stink the place out tells you he's going to be around for a long time to come. Like I say, losses may be high profile. We'll be forgetting about those in about five years, I reckon. Yeah, I agree with you on that. And uh, they would, of course, the Empire. Uh, this would sort of start a theme for them in terms of uh, how things would go at Wrestle Kingdom. But uh, they would also uh, find a way to uh, bounce back at New Year's Dash, which we'll talk about in a minute. But uh, that led us into the the two matches I think a lot of people were, were certainly sold on uh, for night one of Wrestle Kingdom. And it started with uh, Kazuchika Okada versus Will Ospreay. Um, this one was uh, something because uh, this was a, a long match. Um, and it went to wind up not being the, the longest match uh, of the, the week there for, for the two Wrestle Kingdom nights. But uh, this was uh, something. This was a great back-and-forth match. Uh, you had you know the table spot, which I thought was just insane. I know I've seen a lot of people talk about the, the table spot and how they're able to pull that off, um, given the, the, the table. Just I think you look at these tables, and they're so narrow, and I don't know how they pulled that off. But um, I, I think you, you saw that tenacity, that aggressiveness, that new sort of edge from Osprey here. Um, and then you just saw a lot of different counters. I mean, you saw Okada, you know, going back to the money clip, but ultimately uh, it kind of paid off everything we've talked about, you know, going back to the G1 and just the entire year of Okada building back up. And it was the Rainmaker, uh, the one thing that ultimately he goes back to and it gets him the win in this match. Uh, certainly one of the best matches of either of these two cards. Uh, very impressed by these two. And as we said, going in, uh, the expectations were very high and I thought they delivered uh, certainly a very good match. I think for me, had we, I mean, I think we said it was what, 10, 10 a bit thousand crowd for this, large for two nights. Yeah. If they had full dome able to make noise, this would have pushed over, I went four and a half. And crazily, I think they still have a lot left in the tank on this. You know, we've done the same match twice in three months, I want to say. I'm not saying we're going to spam this like we did, you know, save in Tanahashi a few years back, but they are going to go back to this. And I think the fact that Osprey lost. By saving that Tokyo Dome moment for him, whether it's a card next year or you know, something else down the line. Um, yeah, I mean, this kind of paid off the long story we've had for all of 2020. You know, Carter stopped using the Rainmaker for whatever reason. 
And as we went through the G1, he teased it, but you know, he won by stoppage. He won by you know, other means. You know, never won by submission of that uh, money clip. Goes back to old faithful, gets a big win. Um, to me, the fact that Osprey didn't win surprised me, you know, especially considering that O'Connor lost in the previous match. But, yeah, I mean, this one, 35 minutes, 41 seconds. Um, yeah, I think the big stories out about was obviously the Rainmaker finally being hit. Osprey coming close, but let's say, in fact, he won back in uh, October in G1 and couldn't get done here. Maybe tells you that whatever's going on with the Empire is still a work in progress. Yep. And uh, as we said, I mean, uh, I think everyone listening, most people listening to this have probably seen these shows, but uh, on the, the same front, if you haven't and you're looking for the matches to go back and, and watch, this would certainly be uh, among that group. Uh, as Ian said, he gave it four and a half stars. I thought this was just fantastic. Uh, and it's one that, as you mentioned, we're probably going to get again uh, at some point. I would also put uh, this next match, uh, the main event, in that same category of matches uh, to go out and watch. Uh, and that was, of course, uh, Tetsuya Naito versus Kota Bushi for the IWGP heavyweight and intercontinental titles. Uh, Ian, I thought you put it best in your written review. Uh, basically, uh, the, the nerves heading into this and just go ahead and turn off the feed if you uh, were nervous about what could happen in this one. I would be in that group uh, not knowing we talked about, weren't exactly sure what level these two would take it to. But I thought they wound up working a, a match for, for their standards, a pretty, you know, safe, standard-type match uh, that you would expect uh, from New Japan. Uh, this was mostly, I thought, you know, really good storytelling from these two. Uh, you had Naito working on the neck of Ibushi. Um, you know, you have Ibushi countering, and you've got Naito selling his knees. So both of these guys sort of selling uh, two of the things that, that have certainly been, you know, potential weaknesses for them in the past. Uh, lots of different moves here on display. And, and I thought, again, the chemistry between... Between these two was never going to be a doubt. Um, I can't say I really, you know, as much as we talked about it last week, I really thought I was like, Abushi has to win this match. Ultimately, he does. Um, you know, hits the Kamigoye uh, for the third day. It's just I thought the the finish sequence was fantastic here. And uh, again, this was Abushi's shining moment as we thought it should be. Uh, and really, uh, that played into it even more. And you mentioned a minute ago the crowd. You know, if you have a full crowd under normal circumstances for this match, I think that takes it to another level just because, you know, the reaction was good for Ibushi winning, but I can only imagine under normal circumstances the reaction of that crowd where Ibushi finally getting his big moment. And I think, you know, hindsight being perfect, you know, we should have seen that Ibushi was going to win on night one. If he lost on night one two two years in a row, there have been big questions about where his future was going to lie. Um, yeah, I think with this one, I think I called this match relatively safe as houses. You know, there was that runner off the apron, which, you know, in another timeline, Nigel could have really screwed up his knee just the way he landed legs in the guardrails. You know, I've seen people you know, you know, actually break the legs too, you know, doing less than that. So, yeah, I think, you know, this, you know, Zabushi's latest chance, he finally cashed on match finishing sequence. You know, you know, I think this one was went what 31 minutes. It wasn't the longest. It wasn't the longest match uh, Bush had that weekend. Spoiler alert. But yeah, I mean, you know, it was pretty much by the end. The guys were trading bombs. You had these Valencia snowplow which Naito has Destino, but Bush blocks it and two Kamigoyes in the wing. You know, by the end, you know, they were like say swinging for fences, hitting the big stuff, and you know, uh, Bush gets his moment and he celebrates with double gold. Um, you know, some fireworks, no tick tape, and to me, when I had that, I thought, oh no, he has a celebration, no, not the big, you know, no tick tape, what have you. The fact that he's you know, got the big moment made me think, night two, he's in trouble, which, you know, depending on your train of thought, maybe shouldn't have to worry about. And let's just go right into night two because I, I think we'll compare them. After we talk about night two, because I think, you know, for, for me, there was one that stood out above the other. And I think uh, just looking at your grades, I think you probably felt the same. But uh, let's talk about night two and we will quickly. Um, I don't even know that there's a whole lot to mention about this, as we said uh, on night one. But uh, it was Bushi versus Chase Owens versus Balak Fale versus Toriano uh, for the King of Pro Wrestling uh, 2021 title. And I think, Ian, this ended in the only way. We thought it could, and that's uh, Yano winning, and uh, I, there's just not a whole lot to say, say other than that. Yeah, I mean, there's some, and I know the whole, you know, the whole uh, uh, meme of you know, plans change, what have you. 
I really do wonder what the original plan was for this KOPW title because you don't have a card, you know, have a big press conference to announce it and then belt ends on Yarno the whole time, you know? You know, to me, something must have changed between the announcement and it actually being put into practice. I mean, yeah, Yarno's the first champion, but fits, you know, especially he does all the, you know, the wax stuff, his matches are all cheating and stipulation laden to begin with. The fact we've got now, you know, it's in year two, you've got Yarno now as a big 2020 trophy in the Mincha trophy. I mean, it wasn't horrible. I mean, I could have done without you no know, Bushi playing dead after that, you know, after a move which the World Title League barely put some people down, as in, you know, it was a free camp, I was it not down 30 seconds, I think it was by, by the end. But <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, it is what it is. You know, KPW, some people thought it was going to be a new top title. It isn't. It's opening match, mid card at best fair. Um, but yeah, I. Like I said, I really want to know what the original plans for this would have been because I don't re- I don't believe you go through all this you know, fanfare press conferences and what have you just to have Toriano carrying around more props and give him a long entrance, you know? Yeah, and that's what we said. I mean, then you had guys like Suzuki and, you know, Ishii doing nothing after being in that, you know, Rambo for very little time on night one. And it's just to think, you know, if you have those guys on this card, maybe looks a little bit different, um, but, uh, you know... Guess, you know, have Yano in there and even had uh, Chase Owens and Fale trying to do the uh, re- recreate the finger poke of doom from uh, WCW fame. Uh, that did not work out for them uh, nearly on the anniversary of it happening. But uh, Yano, uh, another king of pro wrestling title for him. And uh, we'll see what happens with that moving forward. Uh, that took us to the IWGP Junior Tag Team title match. Uh, Taguchi and Wado versus El Desperado and Kanemaru. Um This was another one I thought, as we said, kind of in the preview not a whole lot of sort of build, not a whole lot going into this match. Uh, I think most of the, you know, spotlight has been on Desperado based on, you know, some of the matches certainly he's had in recent months. Um, so for, for me, him getting the win here, that's, that's fine. Like, you know, they, they have the titles and that's one thing, but, uh, I didn't really, you know, this was another one of those matches for me that was just sort of just there. Yeah. I mean, look, it's, I've made no secret of, I'm not a big fan of Masuato since he came back. He's been very hit and miss, and I honestly don't think they've done him many favours. I mean, no Washo came back because the gym the New Japan Cup shows in front of no fans. We just I, I don't know, it's just some some about the whole energy of the way he returned and the way he's been presented hasn't been well. Um no. In the match here, I think it was a six one nine he kind of messed up on. No, and I say in this match he tends to blow hot and cold and you know, during the best of super juniors. There were points where he looked really good and then you know, seconds later he would damn near kill himself on a dive, which you know, at this level you can't you, know, you can't really have any kind of longevity at this level doing that. In fact he's that young. You know, that's the sort of stuff that should have been hammered out while he was on an excursion. But yeah, I mean, we said this about the heavyweight tags, you know, there is no depth to these divisions. I mean, the fact that you're looking at what um, Taguchi and Wato, got the champions Kanemaru, Desperado, uh, Fantasmo, and Ishimori, who else have you got? Right. I know it wasn't much better before, you know, when you had the young bucks with Ponky 3K and you know, whoever else Rock and Mayo teamed with. But, you know, the fact that you've got two tag divisions with next to no depth, and you can't even blame this on, you know, on the pandemic and, you know, uh, foreign talent not being able to come in. It was like this before. So no, so unless you have, I think, we've, no, uh, Tiger Mask and Yomura pairing up or whoever, even then, those are not no, legitimate or believable contenders because when's the last time a young lion won a match against a senior? Never happens. So in matters, you know, fine what it was. Um, you know, the Taguchi and Wasso team, I don't know if that's you know, split them different ways and we'll touch on uh, Dash in a moment. But yeah, the right team won my mind, and yeah, I think the junior tag titles are just going to be, you know, a trinket around people's waists, and we'll be back here in 12 months' time wondering why is nothing being done to build up this division. Well, this was where I thought that for night two, that things just went to another gear and never really came back down, aside from maybe... We'll talk about Evil and Sonata in a minute, but I think even that match for me uh, was better than expected. But this next match, 
Jeff Cobb versus Shingo Takagi for the never open weight title. Wow, I we we said we thought this could be the one that sort of stole the show, and uh, turns out that's exactly what it was because these two had the exact. And I I said this to someone. They had the exact type of match you thought they should based on the story and just based on their characters and like what they've done throughout their career and what they've done in New Japan. Like this was the exact match you expected from these two stiff shots, um, lots of different power moves, just these two guys going at each other. You know, they even had the headbutts, the slaps. They're basically, you know, on the mat going at each other like bulldogs and just. This was insane. Just the insane strength that both of these guys showed here um, was just unbelievable. Uh, I thought this was easily for me. I don't, I'm having trouble putting this either at one or two. Uh, I think actually I'm going to wind up putting it at two because we're going to talk about a match in a minute. I think I may put higher than this. But either way you look at it, this was a classic between these two, an awesome match. Shingo gets to win, uh, but this was exactly what Jeff Cobb needed because this was the thing we talked about before, Ian, and the G1s and all those different things. You wanted to see him on the biggest stage here have sort of that big breakout type of moment, and I thought this was exactly it. Um, this was fantastic. Yeah, I mean, I've seen Cobb in, you know, when he's done tours in Europe, and he's had really good matches on the, let's say, the biggest stage, maybe not quite hit those heights. This was undoubtedly the best match he's had in the New Japan ring. And let's like, say for me, this is either 1A or 1B in terms of you know, best match across the two shows. The one bit for me, I think, really stood out. And so I'm speaking to um, Robert Dreisker, Double uh, X Avalanche on Twitter, yesterday about this. There was one spot at the end, I mean, Cobb you know, dominated a long period of the match, goes for two of the hours, and you look, he landed on his knee. And that was for one moment that you know, stopped him from winning my belt. Yeah. You no, know, but the move, the run of most of the time he doesn't land on his knee, but one time he did, and that's what cost him. Like, and it's been such a long time since I've seen that kind of spot where, you know, guys, you know, being so one-sided, and he just makes one key mistake, you know, this one big move, and he just kind of derailed him from there. I mean, there's one other bit in the match you know, pretty early on, where I'm looking at review now with the, uh, sc- the screenshot from it, where Cobb T's doing a razor's edge from the apron to the floor, which, right. yeah, if that had actually happened, yeah, no, not saying I would have pushed it over, but that is stuff Cobb doesn't normally do, I mean, even in quote-unquote big matches. So he knew he was digging deep, and to me, yeah, if, he'd, if he'd, he uh, came away losing, the Empire was north for three for the weekend. Um, to me, it's best, best out in New Japan rings, so far, I hope he can keep this up. I know Kevin Kelly was screaming for a rematch, and I'll say is if they do that, no, I want to see them top this. And if they can do that in front of a crowd, uh, a full, loud crowd, I think they absolutely will. Yeah, I mean, I, I think and we talked about Shingo before. I, I think he's he's one of the best in the world, in my opinion. I, I just any time it feels like anyone you put him in there with, but when you have him in there with someone like this. And Jeff Cobb just looked outstanding here just from a, you know, a physical standpoint too. Like I feel like he's probably in the best shape of his career and he's just like out there and these two just perfection. I thought in terms of the chemistry they had together, Uh, would love to see this again. And as you said, we probably will see this again at some point. Uh, So that was uh, certainly a classic that led us into uh, evil versus Sonata. You and I kind of mentioned this uh, on last week's podcast. You know, I, I said, I, I was just not completely invested in this based on kind of the year it had been for both of these two. Uh, Did not know what to expect from this match. Didn't really know if we were going to be disappointed or if it overachieved. I thought it overachieved um, just based on how it played out. I will say at the beginning, I was a little worried because, you know, we had talked about sort of Sonata's character and taking a long time for him to finally snap. And then when we started the match, you know, with the Paradise Lock and all that, I'm thinking, okay, well, this is sort of going to be maybe your usual type of match here. But I thought you saw a little bit more of that aggressiveness from Sonata here. Um, I don't know that we're ever going to see that point to where you just see him just as this, you know, completely aggressive, out of control type of character just because, you know, that's just the way we know him as. And we'll talk about it in a minute, but like that's basically he came out as just the silent challenger. 
uh, after the main event. But um, I, I thought this was better than I thought it would be. And so I think for the year maybe that those two had and just sort of some of the disappointments we had talked about, um, th- this at least uh, exceeded my expectations. Yeah, I mean, I think you know, people took this as a blood feud. I mean, the fact that even Sonata were barely in the same ring as each other since the split. I think maybe paying a bit high, but yeah, I mean, this is a lot better than I was expecting. I was expecting this match to be absolute drizzling, you know what. Um, and if you thought it was a blood feud, well, you, know, you had the power dry slock, you know, Dick Togo doing that beautiful elbow drop through the table, which that's going to be on gifts till the end of time. You know, I, again, you know, I think the start you had, you know, come to say, no, the winner of this, you know, is likely to be the you know, top contender. Well, that kind of telegraphs because you're either going to get, you know, Evil against Jay White, you know, for a title, which, let's be honest, you know, probably was a direction at one point. But are you really going to do that at new beginnings on a month's build, you know, for directions bigger than that? Or you can have Sonata against, you no know, Sonata Jay White, same kind of thing. You know, I really don't think that was going to work. Uh, evil, Ibushi, you really put an evil in the title picture, so... This kind of, if you really want to overthink it, and thankfully I didn't, this kind of programmed one particular set of results for the top two of the uh, heavyweight title stuff. Um, but yeah, I mean, this is a lot better than I expect. I went three and three quarters, which may be a bit on the high side, but you know, this was effectively the bad guys getting their comeuppance because everything they did just didn't seem to work. Well, apart from killing the timekeeper time and time again. Yeah, bad guys getting their comeuppance, uh, staple of uh, big shows, uh, as we know, in wrestling. And I, I thought, the, like we said, I thought it was just something that uh, was executed pretty well here. And uh, you at least uh, had Sonata coming out with a little momentum. And uh, we'll talk more about that in a minute. But um, that led us to the semi-main event. And uh, that was Hiromu Takahashi versus Taiji Ishimori for the IWGP Junior Heavyweight title. Uh, we went into this match, as we said in the previous one, with Hiromu's uh, hand injury playing that up, uh, and then going into the actual match. Uh, this was another one, as I said. Th- things really picked up with, with Jeff Cobb and Shingo, but this was another one that I thought these two working together played their roles to as near as perfection as they could have. Um, I thought Ishimori here was just great kind of playing up that sort of cerebral type of guy who's just attacking Hiromu's weaknesses with these vicious shots, uh, working on the weak spots with different submission moves on the shoulder. And he worked on the hand, uh, all these different things. And I thought just that part of this match made it so much better because, you know, that's what, that's what the whole thing is, right? You're supposed to work on your opponent's weaknesses. You go at the areas that you know you can take advantage of, and that's exactly what Ishimori did here, I thought, for pretty much the entire match. Uh, and that really told the story to me. Of course, uh, a tremendous back-and-forth match, but it was Hiromu getting the win, uh, kind of what we expected, and now gets ready to sort of elevate, I think, that title even more, and we will probably tie that into the discussion with New Year's Dash and where New Japan goes from here. But uh, this was another one, you know, a very, very good match, and uh, I thought this would be pretty good going in, but I will say this one, too, uh, even exceeded my expectations because uh, I thought both these guys just really, really worked well together. Yeah, I thought this was a hair better than their match in uh, Jinku in the summer. Um, obviously, had Roma going in. You know, he had the hand injury from Fantasmo last night. So that was obviously what Ishmael was going to work on. He did. A uh, few bits of mystery didn't quite work. It was whatever the hell that run up down the ramp was that turned into a suplex. <laughs> yeah. So I know what we're going for. And you know, New Japan's production is usually great. But when you've got Kevin Kelly trying to cover for, oh, well, it's not so bright a lit there, so you would have, you know, you missed, you didn't know what was happening. No. I think stuff like that, you know, probably should be fine-tuned. I mean, I'm not saying practice every everything like Bob show, but I think something like that maybe could have been done with not being tried. But you no know, points for trying, I guess. Uh, but yeah, I say back and forth. You know, Ishimori kept working on the arms of the Mysticas, the Bone Lock, you know, the Yes Lock, whatever you want to call those moves. But in the end, Raw move for the third time to Wrestle Kingdom wins the Junior Heavyweight Title, and all says I really don't understand what they're doing with him as you know, kingpin in this division. I would expect you know, he's going to have one big run and we'll touch about, you know, touch us after Dash. But I expect the one big run he'll have will be him you know, leaving the division. But I think we touched last week, uh, 
not Blake, we're not going to have a situation where Huoma can leave until they've got someone who can replace him. And right now, there's no one in that junior division now says, no, I think the news is maybe show. The problem is, you know, they've really gotten pegged as a tag guy. I mean, in fact, that since Yo went down injured, he's, I don't say barely being used, but he's not being given any kind of spotlight. So the fact that they've kept him as, you will you know, keep you on the back burner while Yo's recovering, kind of tells me that anyone who was hoping shows would be Roma's replacement, for a better word, you can be left sorely lacking. Yeah, I mean, they've they've got some decisions to make on that, like you said, because uh, ultimately we know how much they love Hiromu and uh, him having the title. You know, what's next? And I think there are a lot of unknowns as to where they go with that. And, and like you said, it's I think this has to be the year of them trying to build up uh, that next big guy for that division. And um, I don't know. It's uh, at least curious, at least curious to see where they go uh, from here with that. But. All right, that was uh, that. That was that, and then we got to the uh, what wound up being uh, the longest main event in uh, the history of Wrestle Kingdom, Tokyo Dome. There, um, with uh, Kota Bushi defending his newly won titles against Jay White. Um, I know that there has been a lot of reaction to this match. Uh, some people, I think, loved it. Some people thought that it went too long. Uh, as for the match itself. Uh, this was pretty much another one, I thought, from a story standpoint that I don't know how much better it could have been uh, because this was exactly what I think that you were expecting just in terms of where the story was heading into night two, uh, knowing that Jay White was in a situation where he felt like he absolutely had to win these titles. Everybody in the back of your mind, you're thinking, okay, is Ibushi finally going to get his big moment uh, and then lose it? Well, he didn't. He wins this match, but uh, the the core of the match where you had Jay White just kind of working on Ibushi, knowing that he had just been through that hard-fought match the night before with Naito, uh, that cerebral offense like to talk about with Ishimori and kind of what he did with Romu was sort of similar here with Jay White and Ibushi, uh, two people who had already wrestled the night before. You had their opponents go attacking uh, those weaknesses. Um, and then, of course, we get the moment in the match, which I will always just enjoy and love based on what we've seen from it, where Ibushi just snaps. Uh, he starts destroying Jay White with the kicks and the forearms. Uh, you had Jay White asking Ibushi to cover him, uh, and then Ibushi just continuing the onslaught from there, uh, and that led to Jay White getting the low blow after uh, Ibushi had shoved red shoes. But um, Ibushi gets the win. He goes with the Kamigoye to the back of Jay White's head and then hits him in the face for the win. Um, I, you know, I mentioned the Jeff Cobb and Shingo match. I probably have to go back and watch them both again, which I'm sure I will. Uh, I thought this match here was probably my match of Wrestle Kingdom because I love this. I thought the way these two played off of each other, I know it took a little while to get going, uh, and that's what a lot of people say because, I mean, it is a, you know, it's a 50-minute match. Like, it took a little while to get going, but um, I, I thought this was great, and I think the biggest part for me, and, and, and we can just transition this into Dash, but... This sets up a lot of questions surrounding, I think, Jay White and what the next step is for him. Because to me, how they work this match, like this is ultimately setting up for, I think, probably a Jay White uh, face turn, however you want to look at it down the road, and maybe him getting that next big moment. And quite frankly, could, could that big moment come a year from now, you know, at Wrestle Kingdom 16 with the way that New Japan books, I could totally see that happening. Uh, but a lot of questions coming after this. But... I thought this was the best match of the week for me. I think for me, and again, it's personal preference. I kind of like the big lads wrestling kind of stuff. This would be the 1B to Cobb and Shingles 1A kind of thing, but you know, both from the same level for, for my money. Um, to me, watch this, and obviously got the stopwatch you know, to put the times in the report. It absolutely did not feel as long as it did. You know, there were bits where you know, people were saying, with hindsight, you know, the match did feel cyclical where we're doing the same stuff. But again, it was playing the same stuff with Fabushi you not know, getting more angry, more annoyed, you know, you know, the zombieing upside college towards the end. For me, and again, you know, this isn't a slight on commentary, I mean, you know, had Kevin Kelly, Chris Charlton, Rocky Romero for you know, both nights of the, the Wrestle Kingdom, and they were absolutely fantastic. I've missed them most of last year. You know, since watched these live, you know, they haven't been doing a lot of live stuff. I think it's about, uh, I mean, this went 48 minutes, but we've got about 42 minutes, I want to say. Uh, Chris Charlton mentioned something about oh the longest match at the Tokyo Dome was 42 minutes something. I'm thinking, 
they're going to break the record. Like, not yeah. that the whole match was signed to break the record, but when we said that, you know, I thought, yeah, this is why, you know, if it started to feel long there, it's because they, you know, they kind of gave away, they're so close to the record, well, they're not going to bring that up and not uh, beat it at this point, you know. But, yeah, for me, it was an absolutely fantastic match. You had the story of, of Ibushi, you know, he lost to Jay White, you know, back in the last year, he lost a briefcase. And I won't say it was an underdog story, but the you know, fact that he lost a briefcase, kind of had to campaign to get a title shot in the first place on January 4th. And then you know, when he could easily have lost yet again to Jay White, he, over, he overcomes him. And again, you know, that, fin- that finishing stretch, the Kamigoye at the back and the Kamigoye at the front, after Gato had been taken out, so you know, there's literally no one left to save Jay. You know, thing that was absolutely you know, you know perfect in terms of story. And again, for me, I didn't go full five. If you had a full crowd, I would absolutely gone five, gone full five. But again, that's just me. I'm, I'm kind of making a bit more of an effort to not throw the full five out as much. You know, this may be one way come November, December time I rewatch go. Yeah, I got this song. This is full five. But uh, yeah, for me, absolutely perfect main event. You know, yes, it went long. But if you can't go along on you know, the main event of your biggest show of the year, when can't you? Yeah, exactly. And uh, I think it just, once again, speaks to Kota Bushi's, uh just insane, insane. Um, just, uh, I don't even know, stamina and just everything. You think about those two matches in particular and um, unreal just kind of what uh, he went through. But uh, these are guys, as we know, who go through the G1. And so this is not exactly anything new uh, from that regard. But uh, I thought night two was uh, better than night one. But again, we're, we're basically saying this in a sense that uh, you still got two fantastic matches on night one uh, with those two, uh, with Osprey uh, and Okada, and then Abushi uh, and Naito, and then of course on night two, you got Jeff Cobb and uh, Shingo, you got Hiromu and uh, Ishimori, and then of course you got this main event with Abushi uh, and Jay White, so there was lots of great stuff on both nights, and uh, we'll talk a little bit about uh, New Year's Dash here, uh, Ian, because I, rather than go through each of these, as we know, uh, every year they they announce the card, you know, right at bell time, and that's what you had here, and the usual uh, lots of multi-man matches that sort of set up uh, these feuds we're going to see moving forward. Uh, for you, what did you think was maybe some of the biggest things you took away uh, from this? I think a lot of people were, were waiting to see what would happen with Jay White based on that promo, which I know we didn't discuss, but we can discuss it now. Uh, Jay White cuts the promo after uh, Wrestle King, after losing that main event against Ibushi, and basically says that he's done, uh, and that led to plenty of speculation. I think this is probably one of those things where you see Jay White uh, disappear from uh, New Japan for a bit, uh, and then maybe come back, you know, I don't know, does he come back with sort of a new layer of his character? Does he come back, you know, completely revamped? I'm not sure, but uh, it does at least set up a lot of intrigue, a fantastic promo from Jay White. Uh, but you didn't really get a whole lot of anything built off of that at New Year's Dash other than, um, you know, he takes the pin against Ishii and sort of, I think, signifies that, hey, he loses this match too. Now he says he's stepping away. Uh, who knows? Uh, other than that, I mean, I guess the biggest things we got here was certainly, um, you know, Abushi and Sonata, which I know we didn't mention, but Sonata did come out after uh, the night two main event and basically issued the challenge to Ibushi. Um, but that's kind of what we saw get played up here at New Year's Dash uh, is that that seems to be the next challenger for Ibushi whenever that is. You also had Shingo uh, pretty much offering the uh, the challenge to uh, Tanahashi. So it seems like that's going to be the next program there. And then, of course, uh, you had Bushi and Master Wato. That seems to be uh, the next big program as well. I can wait. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, I think, so obviously, you think from after Wrestle Kingdom, uh, Bushi was talking about unifying the heavyweight and intercontinental titles. I think that's a good idea because right now the double gold is it's it's a good uh, title for someone to have, but it's not doing the promotion any favors. You know, there's no obvious end point either. You know. New Japan had booked themselves into a corner here. I mean, I mean, what do you do? Do you challenging someone? Do you go, oh, yeah, I want to fight you, but I don't want your top belt. I'll go for number two. Like, right. Yeah. It's a good idea to, you know, for the first double dome last year, but it really just didn't uh, do much, you know. Um, again, like say, no intercontinental title meant there's no real big stepping stone. Like, you know, we'll, we'll touch on as well. It's like, um, 
Hiroshi Tanahashi looks like he challenges uh, Shingo Takagi for the never title now. That, to me, is a step down from the inter- uh, Intercontinental title. But you're going the other direction, like, you know, we said with Okan. Um, no, it, it seems he's above the never title right now. He ain't getting the world title, or, the, you know, the heavyweight title. So there's no, there's like massive chasm between never the mid-card and main event. So I'm guessing, you know, at some point they either bring back the United States title and have that as a, you know, semi-main title, for a better word, or they bring the Intercontinental belt back at some point in the not-too-distant future when you know, you've got full rosters back. But, yeah, I mean, I think just for the sake of having to carry those damn belts around, it's good to get rid of one of them. Uh, Jay White, I think a lot of people yesterday, I was suspecting that, you know, has he signed? And I noticed today one of the very first things on commentary that Kevin Kelly made a point of saying was, this isn't contractual. You know, he just doesn't feel like he's losing his love for wrestling. He, you know, This isn't he's sort of New Japan. He's just lost his love. And I think the whole kind of thing of kind of playing with uh, Jay is, I don't want to say depression, but you know, it's the, you know, the evil bad guy who's done all these dastardly things, realized it's not worked. And I'll, be, I'll be honest, I think this is the start of his face turn. Uh, someone points out after the show today, uh, Ishii pinned him with Brain Buster. That was the same finish that cost Jay White in the G1 early this year. You know, so that was his first plan to obviously get the double gold. He lost that backup plan, which did work. Well, it's you no know, deja vu for Jay White here. Um, as for New Year Dash, and, and I, I'm guilty of this, and I kind of thought, oh, this is going to be like you know, the way the Raw after WrestleMania was. You know, it sets up a lot of stuff for the rest of the year. Last few years, it really hasn't, and I'll be honest, uh, Blake, this felt a lot like a road to the road to the new beginnings kind of show. Yeah, you know, you had your multi-man tags, you had your young lions in. I think really, apart from the stuff at the end of the main event, there was only one thing which really jumped out, and that was the end of the Empire's trios match. Uh, Great Khan uh, laying out Tenzan with uh, Tenzan's own uh, tombstone. Uh, Tenzan did a full-blown uh, stretch job for it which would have been absolutely great had the Lost Face music not been playing in the background. Like, I know you can't have silence, but the fact we had Osprey's music playing in the background, you know, as you know, the Empire stand tall, blah, 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 that to me was maybe one detail that took me out of it, and I think it's the end, they, something like, removed the bottom rope, which to me just, I'm, I'm weird, I know, uh, when uh, Mitsuharu Misawa died, one of the news reports I saw had footage of him being stretched out. It's exactly the same thing. Um, I don't know if someone joined the dots there, but we're very quick to say he's got his feelings, but you, know, he's, you can feel his arms and legs. We haven't, haven't decided to take him to the hospital yet. To me, this has to be Tenzan being written off. You know, I mean, in fact, he barely wrestled since the return. He's been you know, on Rattle's Corner most of the time. I mean, we were talking earlier about Kojima, you know, given the spot in the G1. That was several years back, and Tenzan's ankles were shot then. They can't be in much better condition now. Um, so you know, I do think maybe he comes back, you know, whether it's you know, back end of the year, has maybe one last run and then has a retirement match. But, you no, know, this to me, you know, the fact that you had them don't definitively allow someone. It's been a long while since you've had them do stretch jobs for anyone. No. Empire lost what? No, they lost three matches to the Wrestle Kingdom. People aren't talking about that now. Yeah, and it, I mean, I think, and I know a lot of people on your review were mentioning, you know, we and we've, we've come to anticipate that, like you said, it was sort of the Raw after WrestleMania, but you come to anticipate that big, you know, huge thing that happens after Wrestle Kingdom and then that huge storyline or that huge angle. Um, this sort of, I think, had to serve as that because, uh, as we said, Ian, the fact is now there are a lot of unknowns about what these next shows are even going to be or when these next shows are going to be for New Japan uh, based on, you know, the the speculation and the reports that uh, that Japan could very well enter a state of emergency uh, this week based on, you know, the COVID-19 situation and everything. So 
I think you know that probably left them in a spot where they set up some of these feuds, like we said. I mean, we know we're probably getting Shingo and and uh, Tanahashi at some point. We know we're going to get Ibushi and Sonata uh, and some of the others, but uh, it just felt like you know everything is a little bit more open ended on a show like this than normal, just because. I would have to assume that New Japan has no idea at this point maybe when their next shows are going to be, what those could look like. Uh, and so that that leaves more questions than answers probably coming out of, you know, such a hot two days of, of action. Uh, and now to kind of be back in that situation where you don't really know what's next, um, it's sort of, I'm sure, from just a wrestling perspective, um, it's not ideal for New Japan, even though, as we know, a much bigger situation outside of wrestling. Yes, I mean, we were touching earlier, you know, coming out of today's show, uh, Snowd Rabushi, Huomu against Show, Tanahashi Shingo, Fantasma Ishimori against Kanemaru Desperado, maybe Gorillas, Suzuki and Rematch. So, yeah, so, you know, the next New Japan shows on the books, at least, they've got a road to new beginning a week on Sunday. There's three nights in a row, Coconut Hall. Then you've got Saitama, back to Tokyo, a few more Coconut Hall, uh, then Nagano. Uh, new begin in Nagoya end of the month. A few more dates in Korokan in February. Uh, Hiroshima February 10 and 11. Then you no know, more twos after that. If you're looking at streaming, you know, I'm just looking at the calendar now for the rest of the month. We've got uh, January 17, 18, 19, 23, 24, 25, and 30. So that's three, four, five, seven shows in the rest of the month to be streaming. Plus the remainder of the village shows. If these don't go ahead, it's not the end of the world, but no, this is really unfortunate from at least from the very much enclosed bubble of New Japan having put on two really good shows and not being able to build on it. I mean, there are much bigger things in this world. I mean, I know the numbers in Tokyo apparently jumped about 1,600 cases yesterday, I believe. Um, a lot of people I know have been very critical of New Japan doing the shows. I mean, I think it was it's like 20,000 in the Tokyo Dome across the two days. And look, New Japan have made a great big song and dance of saying that you know, they've done all these shows since they returned in July. They've had you know, tens of thousands of fans at these shows. Not a single case of transmission between the fan, you know, between fans or wrestlers at these shows. So in that regard, I do kind of see why you know, New Japan felt they had the confidence to run. And, you know, I'm not saying this is like you know, the, uh, the collective we had last year where you know, they had measures but then, you know, then had all the wrestlers getting sick because of you know, stuff that happened outside of the shows. But yeah, you know, I know Kevin Kelly at the end of the show didn't mention anything in terms of next dates. Um, just reading between the lines, it does seem like they expect a state of emergency order to be declared. And if that happens, we're going to have to wait and see whether these dates happen behind closed doors or whether we're back to where we were in February, everything shuts down and we wait for you know, vaccines to do their job and you know, lockdowns, what have you, to you know, become a thing of the past. Absolutely. Uh, we will see kind of how things uh, unfold here. But uh, one thing we do know is that uh, Wrestle Kingdom certainly has always uh, a very highly anticipated event. Uh, I think it lived up to the expectations uh, this year, despite, as we said, going in, it sort of felt like one of those where we weren't exactly sure exactly if it felt like uh, Wrestle Kingdom as usual. But uh, the match is delivered. We have some interesting stories coming out of it. And now it's just a matter of seeing uh, when those stories unfold. But uh, Ian, as always, uh, a great discussion. And uh, as we always we say uh, everyone can find your stuff over at 41mania.com. Uh, you've got reviews on all three of these shows that we've talked about today. Uh, anything else uh, you want to promote uh, and plug here after, as I said, a very, very wrestling busy week for you there? Yeah, I mean, we also had the, uh, some totally random the Nightmare Factory had their first showcase. You know, it's guys who've basically been training for 12 weeks, so, you know, set your stands, but a really fun show there. Uh, NXT UK uh, tomorrow Thursday. I've got the debut of Ben Cart, which intrigues and worries me. I'm working on a column which will have that in. Uh, if you're wondering why I'm a little bit concerned about that, also got Piper Niven against Ginny on that show. And as we touched on earlier, New Japan Strong back this weekend. Uh, but yeah, like I say, in all the New Japan reviews, I've got the links to the uh, GoFundMe for Larry's family. If you haven't chipped in, no, please do. No, it, that's been what six, seven months. No time races around, but long missed and yeah 
wrestling keeps going and if New Japan stops, I'm sure it'll be wrestling going on somewhere else to keep us busy. Yes, it will indeed. And uh, you mentioned the uh, the GoFundMe link uh, for Larry Zonka's uh, family. We'll continue to have that as well uh, in the show notes of this uh, podcast. So you can find that in the episode notes uh, for that. And again, check out all of Ian's work over at 411mania.com. We'll put the links to all three of these shows we've discussed today in the show notes uh, for this episode. So you can check those out uh, while you're listening if you'd like. And uh, for everything else, uh, again, 411mania.com. Check out all our coverage over there of all the stuff happening around the world of professional wrestling. And, uh, Thanks, as always, uh, for listening to the podcast. Be sure to subscribe. Any podcast app you use, uh, you can find us there, Apple Podcasts, uh, Spotify, Stitcher. Do all that. Find us on there. Subscribe so you don't miss any of these episodes we have coming up. Uh, we'll be back uh, again on Friday with our new weekly uh, retro review as uh, we will be looking ahead uh, to the Royal Rumble and look back at a classic uh, Royal Rumble uh, from history. So uh, maybe a little bit better than the, the discussion we had on the New Japan Ramp, but we'll see uh, on that. So subscribe. Uh, thanks, as always, for listening, and we'll talk to you next time here on the 411 on Wrestling Podcast.